Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And indeed, welcome to the Sages Among Us. I am Keith Porter, and my guest today is Jim Bear. And by the way, that's B-A-I-R, not B-E-A-R, even though he identified the bears in the picture as his neighbors and friends. But uh, anyway, uh, different spelling. Uh, Jim's a retired computer science pioneer. He's an award-winning photographer. He's a community activist. He's a leader in the movement opposing the reopening of the Idaho Maryland mine and a host of other things. So, Jim, welcome to the hot seat on The Sages Among Us. Thank you, Keith. Well, I want to dig into your life history and, and your interests and all of that in great detail. Before I do, let me give folks a very brief uh, summary of your background. You were born and raised in Philadelphia uh, to folks that were very interested in the arts and music, I think. Uh, you started school and college to study forestry, but there's a story there that I want you to relate later. You ended up going to Penn State where you studied uh, science and got a multidisciplinary degree through your master's level. Uh, you joined the Air Force uh, out of an ROTC program. Uh, they sent you to upstate New York. Uh, got you started in computers in one way or another. We'll have to dig into that in some detail. Um, but I know that that ultimately led, you left the Air Force, that ultimately led to coming to Stanford uh, and getting very, very involved in the computer industry for really the rest of your working career, as I understand it. Um, you uh, consulted with major corporations like Microsoft and Hewlett-Packard. You worked for uh, Bell Northern Research in Canada. Uh, you taught college for 10 years, uh, all kinds of stuff. And then eventually you came to Nevada County in 2005 or thereabouts. So um, sounds like uh, quite, a, quite a life's journey. So uh, is, is that an accurate summary uh, on, uh, in, in, in two minutes? <laughs> or less. <laughs> I, th I think it's pretty good, except I came up here a little bit earlier than that, about really? 2001. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I had, I had my dates wrong. Well, thank you for correcting that. So anyway, this show is about you and your work and how you contribute to the community. But uh, let's go back a little bit and you know, flesh out some of the earlier uh, parts of your life and uh, the things that formed you into the person you are today. Uh, your mother was an office manager at an accounting practice. Your father was a pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, guy involved in that industry. Uh, what was your life like growing up as a kid in those post-war years? Any, any special childhood memories? Well, it was quite uh, an experience growing up in one of the largest cities in the world at that time, Philadelphia. And we didn't even need a car. So I remember getting around all the way through uh, maybe third, fourth grade on trolleys and buses and trams and trains and all kinds of things and getting in and out of this huge city um, for what they had to offer. And it was a pretty exciting place to be, very historical, as you can imagine. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the birthplace of our democracy, right? Yeah, and around the corner, there were the, uh, the remains of Ben Franklin's uh, apartments when he was uh, a landlord in uh, Philadelphia. Cool. So... Were you the good child, or were you kind of the rebellious streak type of kid? <laughs> who, who will confess to either one of those? Well, I, come on. <laughs> it's a long time ago. This, this is a chance to come clean on all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I think I probably was uh, pretty independent, and uh, the uh, thing that illustrates that was uh, 
my getting into electronics very early on. I won't tell you what electronics were when I was a kid, but anyway. Well, I they, know because I was there too studying them myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, there was a strange thing called a vacuum tube, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that uh, stands out as a memory was uh, setting up a system that could be used as an intercom in the house where, where I lived, two-story house. And so that meant I could uh, take control of the radio uh, in the kitchen where my parents at that particular moment were um, cooking dinner, and I could control that. And so I did that that thing we've seen in the movies. You know, say, uh, uh, we interrupt this program to bring you an emergency <laughs> announcement. There's been an invasion. You know, and it went off on an Orson Welles kind of thing, and they fell for it. And they, they were just like absolutely wired uh, <laughs> figuratively as the sound came out of the radio in the did, kitchen. Did they ever forgive you for that? Uh, they had a pretty good sense of humor. <laughs> good. Well, you said your parents also loved classical music and the arts. Did that, those interests rub off on you? Well, mostly music. And um, I got into the uh, clarinet, which uh, is kind of a versatile thing. You can go march around and yeah. and uh, do more than you could say with a violin, I suppose. But um, the thing that inspired me to do was build a really uh, advanced sound system. So... At the, we're, we're at the cusp of high fidelity when I was a kid. Right. And uh, I built one and got a giant woofer in it and all that kind of stuff and uh, had a, had a ad, advance in the state of the art right in my bedroom. <laughs> Hear that pulsing bass, right? Boom, boom, boom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a sister who was eight years younger. I, I'm, th- that must have been interesting to have a sibling join your family when you were eight years old. Uh, how did that change your life? Well, besides, you know, getting to be a babysitter, you know, uh, a little bit, yeah. um, the thing that result, that resulted in was a bigger house and a better school. Ah. So she was a good reason for my parents to move. Ah, she brought you, she brought you uh, an improvement in life. Well, there you go. Yeah. So um, you, um, in high school, you mentioned you played the clarinet. You also told me earlier that you wrestled. You did some other sports in high school. Any any other important adventures or any important memories from your high school years? Um, not not really. Um, I think the you know most exciting thing back in those days was getting a driver's license. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, you said you had uh, you were involved in scouting. You had a love of the outdoors, and that led you to go to a small college where you majored in forestry. But then you discovered something about that. Tell us about that. Well, indeed, that love of the outdoors was um, pretty deep in my blood, and certainly was influenced by Boy Scouts. But uh, when I got into uh, college in forestry, I found out that there were two career paths. One was to work for a giant timber company and decimate the very things I wanted to protect <laughs> right, yeah. for the most part. And the other thing was to become a, a cop, you know, in, in, say, in a state park or federal park, whatever. Yeah, like a ranger type yeah, cop. That, yeah, that type. And so yeah. I, I decided something else could be more fun, and engineering and science was. And so that took you to Penn State, right, and through your master's degree. Um, and you'd started a Ph.D. program, but you were interrupted by uh, getting called into active duty by the Air Force uh, out of your ROTC program. Um, how were you able to get the Air Force to send you to work in a research lab in upstate New York where you could follow your dreams and focus on network computers for collaboration, which is what you always wanted to do? Right. I know. It's hard to believe, but I wrote a letter 
I wrote a letter to the Air Force after they told me that uh, I could no longer stay in college and I had to serve my country, which was fine. And uh, I said, uh, hey, you know, I've, I've published. I've done research because I did in graduate school and even uh, uh, became an editor of a technical journal, um, all kinds of wonderful things. And when they saw that, they said, hey, you know, he can't be a pilot. He doesn't have good enough eyes. So we're going to send him into research. Research. So where, where, where was this lab in upstate New York that you went to? It was a little town called Rome, New York, uh, yeah. right up in the center of the state, right in the snow belt. <laughs> Get your warm clothes out, huh? Right. All right. Well, and then that, uh, that somehow, uh, over time, linked to a connection with Stanford. And um, when you left the Air Force, you were... You said your your next position, if you'd stayed in the Air Force, would be to go to a man a mi- missile silo, and so you thought you'd have better opportunities by uh, doing other stuff, and that brought you to Silicon Valley. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it it was um, just the, just a, a stroke of luck that was um, almost unbelievable that I got to work with Stanford when I was in the Air Force. I was a liaison between the Air Force research uh, investments, so to speak, and Stanford, and so I had to fly out got to know the people and work with them for some years. And then when I uh, realized that the missile silo was pending, (laughs) Uh I uh, decided to accept their offer. They just said, hey, why don't you come out and join us? I mean, it really wasn't a hard decision. (laughs) Uh, I'm sensing that. (laughs) Uh, I'm Keith Porter. My guest today is Jim Baer. Jim's a retired computer science pioneer, uh, award-winning photographer. He's a community activist, a leader in the movement opposing the reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine here in Grass Valley um, in Nevada County. Um, so, Jim, you're now at Stanford. Um, you got to work on all kinds of fun things, uh, like inventing the first computer mouse and designing graphic user interfaces and email systems. Yeah, tell us about it. That must have been really heady times for you. We are really special. Yeah, it was. And... Uh, we were doing what we call bootstrapping, which was when we invented the stuff, we used it. And so we had we had mouses <laughs> running around in 1968. I think the plural is mice. Not enough of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take your word for it. If you were there, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, the, um, the, the wonder of being there was that um, we were basically the leader in the world with uh, a few other universities. So this MIT, uh, Carnegie Mellon, um, UCLA, some other schools were right with us. But um, the um, really neat thing was everybody came to us. And what I learned was if you get visitors from Japan and China and then also we got a lot from Europe and they wanted to say, what are you doing? What is this new stuff? Show us a mouse. Then uh, they would always bring presents. So, you know, I got all these wonderful little uh, gifts from around the world. uh, And all I had to do is, you know, look smart and show them our stuff. Did you declare all those things on your taxes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Income. (laughs) Right. Uh, Cool. Well, so, uh, you know, what what was it like inventing the mouse? I mean, you know, gosh, that sounds like interesting stuff. Well, it it created quite a bit of uh, interest from people like Steve Jobs. And so I got to know him and talk with him a bit. And uh, I did ask him the question, you know, did you steal all this stuff from Stanford and Xerox Palo Alto Research Center? And he said, of course. They were never going to do anything with it. They didn't know how to take anything to market, so I did. Yeah. So it was uh, exciting from how we were 
pushing out into the world this new uh, technology. But when you go into a company like IBM uh, with a mouse, they, they really look at you uh, in a very strange way. At least they did in those days. Yeah. And they, they turned us down. It, right? We said they could have the rights. We would sell them rights, you know, give them a license to the patent. And they said, oh, no, we don't want any mice, you know, in our place. It was a hard sell. It was actually a hard sell until the 80s to get people yeah. to use computing in these ways. Well, how about email? Was that a hard sell? Uh, it went with the package. And we had the first email system. You ready for this? Talk about old. About 1969. Yeah. And uh, uh, it took off in the research community. And so when you have a research community, it takes a while for it to get into the public arena. Right. But when Steve came along and was followed by Bill Gates, you know, then, then of course, we had what we call mass adoption of innovation. And it really took off, mm -hmm. you know. Well, I have a burning question. Did Al Gore really invent the Internet? <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have still been in school <laughs> in those days. <laughs> okay. I remember that controversy greatly. Um, so from there, you obviously got your stripes. You were a senior scientist at the Stanford Research Center. Uh, and then I think you, you tended to branch out and do more things independently, if, I, if I've understood your bio correctly. Uh, you published uh, books and papers, more of them during that period of time. You worked for Bell Northern Research in Ottawa, although you never lived in Ottawa, right? You stayed in the Bay Area, focused, based in the Bay Area. Yes, uh, you did some work for Hewlett-Packard and Xerox and consulted with the industry, including with Microsoft and uh, for, with a firm in London, England, and you taught as a visiting professor at Syracuse University for 20 years. That must have been a lot of travel and a lot of really interesting stuff. What, what stories can you tell us about that period of your life? Well, I was thinking about that when you initially said you were going to ask me, and uh, it's really hard to come up with something, but there was a really incredible experience, and that was um, because of being at Stanford and publishing and doing, getting into the, into the mainstream of the research community, uh, I was asked to be a, a lecturer at what they called a NATO Advanced Studies Institute. So all expenses paid weeks in Athens, Greece, Athens. with leading uh, researchers from all over the world. And we just had a great time exploring, exploring Greece and even got a tour of the marathon run, which is actually a different run than they do now, Really, uh, from the uh, deputy secretary of history for, for the Greek government. Wow. Uh, <laughs> deep into history, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh. So I, I bet you've got a lot of stories like that about all that time. But uh, th am I right? This was a time when you were working independently on your own more than for an organization or not for one organization? Yeah, I'm glad you asked for that clarification. Um, when I left uh, Bell Northern Research, um, I went to Hewlett-Packard and had a, a wonderful, wonderful company and uh, stayed there for several years working to get their software to compete with what Microsoft was doing. Right. And um, true story, longer one for the future maybe, but um, when Hewlett-Packard developed the software, it was just like Microsoft Office. And in the 80s, they, we had that up and running at Hewlett-Packard, and Hewlett-Packard was kind of just a bunch of, you know, pure idealistic engineers, and Microsoft said, come on up and show us what you've got. And so... Uh, our engineers went up, and we showed it to them, 
And it wasn't very long, maybe even less than a year, before Microsoft sold the software that we had showed them. They right. reverse engineered it. And, and I, it was in Fortune magazine, and we were, we were just, you know, just taken aback by the toughness of Microsoft. They, they fought the fight and figured it out. And, right. <laughs> and got, got the edge on you. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, but you actually did some consulting with them at some point later then, right? Yeah, yeah. I moved into uh, consulting after being a, a senior manager at uh, Xerox because Xerox is trying to do the same thing. They were trying to – it's kind of crazy to try and compete with Microsoft and Apple at that point. But yeah. uh, they tried. And um, so uh, after that, I became a consultant for different companies, founded one in England and uh, near London. But uh, Microsoft wanted some advice on how to, you know, take this advanced technology to the next level for their customers. So we went up there to Redmond, and and it, it was it was. Uh, but to be honest, it was kind of intimidating. Really? <laughs> yeah. So did you, enjoy, did you enjoy your time in London? We, uh, My wife and I lived in England for three years, London for part of that time ourselves, and really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy that Oh, time? yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. As long as you, you know, didn't try and find a hotel by your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so per, from a personal perspective, what did you really enjoy about those years? And, and what parts of your life during that time did you just have to be able to put up with in order to be able to do the good stuff? Well, you know, the, the, um, the issue is, when you got me thinking about this, is um, uh, I really had to travel a lot. And it was really seven day weeks all the time. Right. And I have no complaints. Um, but the sacrifice was family. And I wish I would have paid more attention to family and, and uh, relationships. Uh, so that's one thing I would I do uh, differently. Um, but um, met so many fabulous people all over the world, um, in, you know, everywhere from, you know, Tokyo to uh, Moscow. You know, it's just, just amazing. Well, I was going to ask, you know, is there something in your life that you do differently if you could do it all over again? It sounds like uh, attention to family would be your primary answer to that question. But on the other hand, what is there about your life that you would say um, it, that you're most pleased with or proud of in terms of how, how life has gone for you? Yeah, I, I would say really it's um, uh, enabling people to use computers um, in ways that, it's not how everyone uses computers today, but it's still possible to use them to really share, create knowledge, create solutions to problems, work collaboratively across the, the world, basically. And to have a, had a part in that, it's almost like uh, being a force in the in the revolution, the digital revolution. Yep. And I really feel a, a part of that, even if I have to say a very small part, but nevertheless a part. Well, yeah, and uh, those of us of our age, uh, r roughly, can can see the perspective of a world that is so different now than it was when we were younger. Uh, that uh, and that's one of the major reasons why is uh, is what that industry brought to us. Um, so you were a longtime Bay Area resident. That whole time, you were you stayed resident in the Bay Area, um, and then you started easing into retirement, and um, in, what, 2001, do you say? You, that's what brought you to Nevada County, the, the transition into retirement, 
right? That- yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the, uh, the wide open spaces, I'd uh, come up here a lot to go backpacking in the Sierras and skiing. And this became a, a stopover. And then some friends of mine moved up here from the Bay Area. And so I just followed them up here. And uh, it was a, a really nice to get away from the crowding and the intensity of the Bay Area. And indeed, I, uh, I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. uh, I am Keith Porter. My guest is Jim Bear. Jim's a retired computer science pioneer, photographer, um, community activist, does a lot of things in our community, and we're going to get into that in the last part of our time here together. Uh, but um, how did you navigate the transition? Now, you, you said you're very happy to be out of the city, but there's also things you give up <laughs> as a result of being there, uh, uh, being in a rural area as opposed to the city. Anything that you miss about urban life? Uh, that that's a hard one. Um, I think um, out of all the things that I miss, I, I come down to one thing, and that is the availability of universities. Yeah. So we have a we have a, a, a very good uh, community college, right? But it's nothing like being down the street from Stanford or San Jose State or San Francisco State or UCSF, whatever. And that that is the one thing I miss. Everything else up here, we have. Just fabulous, wonderful, sophisticated people. No difference. What's your favorite part? Would you say about living in Nevada County? What do you like the most? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's the uh, the uh, people, and uh, the fact that uh, many of them are uh, able to, in this supportive environment, get into the arts and really express themselves. All forms of the arts and music and painting and so forth. But it's uh, it's hard for me to go out. Uh, to a grocery store anywhere out about town and not meet somebody I know. Yep. And I, I, I just find them all just wonderful uh, people to, to interact with. So tell us about your um, uh, hobby, I'm sure is not the right word, uh, photography, because you do ha- actually have a business uh, related to it as well, right? You offer your, uh, your work to others in the community and, and for sale, I believe, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, tell us about that. Why photography is, is important to you? Well, it, it's obviously um, uh, a mastery of technology because cameras today are computers, right? right? Although I started about 50 years ago. But what it is is to to see something that's really beautiful and put it in a form that you can share with other people. And when you see them enjoying it, uh, like we're going to have another show at uh, the Center for the Arts at the Grinchy Gallery in this coming April – and then you're there, and people come in, and to see them smile and point and talk, and and even when they don't like it, they at least saw it, right? You know, so you're sharing something that was important to you and beautiful. So let's talk about the other things you do in our community. You're very involved in a number of things. Tell us about those, and you know, which are important to you, and and why do you choose to be involved in those things? Well, it's. Um, once you get the uh, the um, uh, wanting to move forward and engage in the community and and be part of civilization in general, you just you just can't stop, right? So, <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it is seductive, yes. And then one of the first things I did when I get up here, believe it or not, was I became a planning commissioner for Grass ah, Valley, yeah. And then I, I had a much better a view of government because it was more accessible up here than it is down in, say, you know, Palo Alto. And uh, I, I really liked that and the kind of service that that represents. But then I got involved with things like uh, Kiwanis and uh, Rotary. They're, they're well-known here and they really add a lot 
and uh, it's it's really uh, the opportunity to work with people and maybe make a difference, improve somebody's life. And I was going to ask you, what is it about being engaged in the community that's important to you personally? What do you get back? And I think maybe you've answered that question, but it sounds like just being able to reflect on the, the contribution that makes to life yeah, in the community. Yeah, I, and it's, it's as a team, yeah. you know, working together. So when you're not working uh, on photography or uh, one, of, one of your many involvements in the community, what do you do just for fun when you're just kicking back and relaxing? Well, you know, who can resist the movies, you know, really some wonderful television stuff these days. Uh, You know, I like football and, uh, you know, dine out a lot, do dinner with friends, go to shows. I mean, it's there's so much here to do that people start to complain about it after a while, but I love it. Indeed. This, This is a place that can keep you very, very busy. Absolutely. So let's talk about this place that can keep us busy. Um, among the great assets here, I think, are the number of accomplished professionals and activists and artists and people of all stripes, uh, including you, uh, who are here because they choose to be here. They might live someplace else if they were still employed, making more money, uh, you know, being involved in these universities and things you're talking about. But they choose to be here. And I wonder why you think this community attracts and holds people like that. Well, um, there's a phrase that's a little bit overused, but it's called the quality of life. So people come up here to get away from the congestion, from the traffic, um, just an incredible intensity that exists in more populated areas. And then there's the, the beauty of, of the, the forest, trees, landscape, the mountains so close and everything. So um, I think um, that plus the arts, the cultural community we've built, uh, it's just I think we're one of the leaders, and I think that's why we've become one of uh, 14 state cultural districts. We're just one of only 14 throughout the state. Yeah, and here. actually there are two in Nevada County, right? Because right. The, the east side, Truckee, is also one in its own right. Yes. We're better over here, though. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not competitive. No, we're, no, we're, not. we're, we're collegial. <laughs> um, so we, you've mentioned, and I, I certainly agree because I'm involved, we have a very vibrant art scene in a, a town of our size uh, with music, theater, fine arts. Why are those important to community life? Well, when you get to a point in your life where you're not working full-time and raising a family, then you can really explore what civilization has developed over the years. And if you aren't, enjoying it as an attendee, you're producing it. We have so many uh, musicians here. We have, what, how many? We have two orchestras at least. We have three three choirs. I sing in the male voice choir, and, and there, that's a lot of fun. And, of course, in Concert Sierra is just a tremendous um, offering. So uh, I guess the that uh, gives us a whole... Um, sense of what we can do as a community to produce and share wonderful things in life. Very well said. Well, let me ask you the other question. If a genie in a bottle uh, granted you one wish to improve the community, what's one thing you would say we might be able to do better? I would say get back to that university. When I first came here, I thought, 
what a great place to have a four-year college. Really? We, you know, we could build it right next to Sierra College, you know, and, and uh, a lot of people leave the area for that reason, to go someplace else. But if we, if we got a, a UC branch or something like that, it, it, could, be, it could be really an asset. Let's look ahead for a second in our last couple of minutes here. What's something that you would like to do that is not yet done in your life uh, in terms of community involvement? Well, um, I have a very specific uh, goal right now, and that is uh, what you, you might think is stop the mine, but that's, that's going to be resolved in the next year or so, uh, we hope. But what I would really like to do is enable us to have the Crown Point Entertainment Center. Ah, it's underway. Yes, and uh, that uh, coming out of the In Concert Sierra team, Ken Harden, Julie Harden, yourself, and others who are working very hard, that is going to be such a fabulous asset. It'll be a regional asset. Indeed. I think it'll draw people from, even from Sacramento. Beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Well, I'm Keith Porter. My guest today has been Jim Baer. He's a retired computer science pioneer, award-winning photographer, community activist, leader in the movement opposing reopening the Idaho-Maryland mine, and an arts lover, uh, looking ahead for great stuff in our community. 